Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. All right, Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back to the show again. Today, I want to introduce to you Scott Phillips. Scott Phillips is the founder and CEO of Starfish Medical, a company that helps medical device companies commercialize their products and rise to the top. Scott holds a degree in engineering physics from the University of British Columbia. Prior to starting Starfish, he worked in diverse areas such as lithium battery development and manufacturing, UV spectroscopy instrumentation, and hi-fi audio speakers. Under his leadership, Starfish has grown from a room in his garage to a 130-person enterprise with two offices and many products that they're working on. That's a brief introduction on Scott, but Scott, maybe I may have missed some details and you could fill in the blanks where I may have. All right. Well, thanks so much, Saul, for that kind introduction. Yeah, well, as you can imagine, over 18 years of growing and building a company, there's a lot of aspects to it. I did start as a nerdy engineering physics student, as you mentioned, but always I've only ever had one job in my life, actually like a staff job. And that's basically been contracting. And then Starfish has grown out of that. But now we're one of the premier companies in North America that does what we do. About 70% U.S. focus in our product or project mix and then the balance in Canada, which is where we're headquartered. And our our two main offices are in Victoria and in Toronto, but also uh, Minneapolis. We have our VP of sales based there and we have an office in Irvine, California. So you've been in the business for 18 years and you started from your garage and now you've expanded to this really wonderful national presence where you're adding value to so many companies. Scott, why did you decide to get into the medical sector? That's an interesting question because as you noted at the beginning, a variety of things. My actually one job I mentioned was actually in lithium batteries. That was the dawn of the whole industry. So we were inventing the lithium battery technology, got a real taste for R&D and for commercializing things and uh, worked in natural gas instrumentation. And actually it was, I mean, my, I have a medical family. My wife's a doctor, my father was a family doctor and always had some affinity for the sector. But our very first substantial project as a company was an ophthalmic ultrasound system. To this day, probably the nicest pictures I've ever seen of the front of the eye using ultrasound were taken by that, those original units that we built for a company out of New York. And it was, it's funny, I actually remember I had a website, the New York guys contacted us, they wanted to, and then they decided they want to come visit our office in, in order to qualify us. Of course, we didn't actually have an office. Is this when you were in your garage? So this was actually, yes, in the spare bedroom, actually. And, uh, <laughs> my daughter, the infant daughter, was living in a playpen in the living room, so I had room to have a little office. <laughs> so, so I went down to a local company, friends of mine are running an engineering company, and asked, could I rent some space from them? And so they, they agreed. While you the had guys to quickly finished, step it up. Oh, yeah, that's right. We actually, just before the guys from New York arrived, we had to put a sign on the door so that it would look like this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the, kind of the entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, but the project was a good success, and we built on that and just one step at a time. And uh, it is kind of amazing to me to think we have 130 people all doing contract development, which is, that's a lot of projects and a lot of people now. I, it's unimaginable from the perspective of that initial project that we could have gone to the scale. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that story. And so it sounds like 
it's in the family and you have an engineering mind and you just sort of gravitated and, and married the family sort of involvement in medicine and your mind, the way it works, you just have to figure out how to make it better. I think there's, well, the, the actual, so there's, there's a bit of strategy, you know, that, that I was thinking maybe I should do like movie special effects or something like that. Wouldn't that be cool? Because there's a <laughs> big movie industry in Vancouver and I talked to a few people in it and they said, well, you work 24 hours a day for about six weeks and then you got nothing for six months. That I said, yeah, I mean, that that wouldn't work so good but what medical is interesting because it's got a thousand niches there's if you look at dynamics of the industry there's a few strikers and medtronics and so on but there's a lot of small and medium-sized companies and they all have very specialized interesting products there's enough margin that you can actually afford to do a proper job of development in fact you're required to by the regulatory standards which is important as well because we like regulatory standards because it, it forces the little guys and sort of uh, less capable companies out of the game so uh, it allowed us to be in a more professional kind of atmosphere so we, we like that very cool so it's pretty impressive scott i mean you took it from small to where it is now and so now you're you're involved in a lot of projects in the medical device sector and people seek you out for help on their projects as you interact with these companies and these medical device leaders. What is a hot topic that you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how is Starfish as an organization approaching that? Well, there's a few of them for sure, but I would say connectivity is the one that really jumps to mind. It's a... uh, Like device connectivity? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of devices right now that are being sold today. In fact, the majority of them that basically don't connect. They don't, and they don't, and when they do connect, they don't take very good advantage of the data that they have. And so being clever with sort of the back-end layers, the different views for different clinicians or the connectivity into the hospital information systems. I think that the it's an interesting time of turmoil because some incumbents are not going to really see that pattern, not going to react fast enough, and it leaves an opportunity for new players to come in and eat their lunch, basically, right? And start. And if they get caught flat-footed, then they'll have to spend a few years on the development cycle. And so really... That's one of the areas we're trying to help incumbent companies not get taken advantage of by this vulnerability and make sure that they build the right connectivity to their devices. We built a whole software group just for that. So connectivity is definitely something that continues to arise in, in conversations. In fact, I was just over at the Becker's healthcare meeting. And they were talking about a lot of the initiatives that are related to connectivity, a real hot topic on not only medical device companies' radars, but also on medical administrators' radars and and providers' radars as well. Absolutely. How do you actually implement that connectivity into your institution so you get full advantage of that information, right? That's a... uh, I'm not really an expert on that side of it. We just try to enable to provide the tools for them, but I know that's uh, something a lot of hospitals are not taking full advantage of. And that's a great thing, Outcomes Rocket listeners. As you think about the connectivity strategies of your organization, what is it that you're doing to set yourself apart from the competition? What is it that you're doing in order to use connectivity in a way that empowers your overall strategy? Because because connectivity and devices and, and all of the analytics and smart algorithms that are being applied to the connectivity of these devices are truly going to help differentiate the care that you, that you provide to your patients, but also the reach uh, for new patients as well. So that's a really great point, and uh, Scott, that you bring up. And, and if anybody is in the business and uh, needs some assistance with connectivity, I think Scott and Starfish Medical would be able to help 
they, they'll, uh, Scott, I'll have you share your info at the end of the show, just in case anybody wants to get a hold of you. Great. So can you give the Outcomes Rocket listeners a time or maybe an, an example of when you've made a mistake or failed? Absolutely. I think that's one of the things in product development that you learn to not get too full of yourself and to just look at situations, I would say, somewhat objectively and, and just learn from, not get too attached to anybody's idea that we don't allow you to, to attach your, your name to the idea. It's just an idea. That way when it gets shot down, it's not you. It's just, I think it's sort of an engineering virtue, I guess. But anyways, we did have, I'll give you a couple stories. So we had one that was, was a long time ago. It was a it was called a pachymeter. So it's a for glaucoma screening. It's used for you measure the thickness of the cornea, and it's one of the factors to uh, that goes into the formulas for looking at risk. So we were rushing to launch a new product into this space for a company in Germany, and it was actually built on a PDA. So it was actually one of the very first connected medical devices early on, about nineteen or sort of two thousand two, two thousand four. And it was interesting in that the validation we did for uh, recharging and reprogramming and so on was, uh, was what happened very quickly over the course of a couple of weeks. But what we didn't know is that these, on this particular PDA that we had incorporated into our device, the battery self-discharged in two weeks. And so what happened is that we launched the thing as a big show, American Academy of Ophthalmology. They started having product out into the distribution channels and they'd, they'd go in inventory and they'd get shipped to the doctors and they wouldn't be a pachymeter anymore. They'd be a PDA because the program had been lost. And so uh, we were able to get around it with synchronization and rapidly responded by, in those days, uh, sending out CDs and telling people to synchronize with their computer by plugging it in. It's, it seems a little archaic now, but really the lesson was to validate more carefully. And you know, it's, it's easy to say stuff like that. And it's easy to say, you know, always be careful and always find all the failure modes and test them carefully. But the truth is that the marketing departments do want to launch their products at shows and you are forced to make certain compromises. It's always the way. We're not talking about compromise that's going to hurt anybody, but you certainly over time, you develop enough scars that and enough uh, use cases that you have better imagination. Think of failure modes. Scott, thanks for sharing that. And as you approach the product development process and the listeners that are developing products approach the product development process, validation becomes super important. And so in the process, were you able to develop systems and uh, things to help automate it in some sort of way? Yeah, validation, arguably this is a verification issue on battery life, but it really comes down to your imagination of thinking through failure modes. If you can think of how the thing's going to fail, you can test it and then you it's really, it's not so much the thing that you underestimate it by 20% that gets you. It's the failure mode you didn't think of. And uh, those things still come and get us once in a, once in a blue moon, a, new, a brand new failure mode we never thought of. Because we're doing 30 products at a time, and there's thousands and thousands of possible things that could happen. But I'd say we're, we have a very good track record in that area now. And another area we had to learn more was on the importance of gates. You know, there was a time when... Did you say gates? Yeah, phase gates. So in in product development, most companies have these days implemented very thorough. There's a conceptual development gate, and then there's a alpha gate and a beta gate and a manufacturing transfer gate and a new product introduction gate and so on, a variety of careful criteria around some of those things. And... uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, everybody was busy trying to figure those what the gates should be like. And uh, we had to learn a couple lessons in that process as well, where we allowed a couple of clients to imagine they were farther along than they were, even though there was core feasibility issues that were their responsibility. But nonetheless, we consider it part of our duty to help people be successful, right? It's not yes. enough for us just, just to do what they ask us to do. We want to use the benefit of all our experience so they become successful. So we had to learn a couple of times 
not to let people fool themselves that they were farther along than they were. I think that's a great lesson, Scott, and one that we could all take a note of in product development, but also across the entire organization, being able to have not only that trust, and part of that trust is, is being candid with where we stand today, instead mm-hmm. of trying to, to put your hand head in the sand and thinking that things are better than they are. Keeping it real and really partnering with your clients and your customers to really help them see where they are and get them a realistic plan to get to where they want to be. It's very interesting, especially from the standpoint of an external uh, sort of consulting organization that comes into a situation. We had one company that was involved in dental surgery that we tried to work with for a couple of years, and we could never quite figure out why, why the relationship never seemed to flourish. And uh, eventually, we heard through back channels that their CEO in some of our early discussions, as we were just saying, well, this might fail, that might fail, how are you going to deal with this problem or that problem? He saw that as all negative. That admission that things might fail was we were telling him it couldn't be done. And we were, we were sort of negative Nellies, as it were. And then uh, the, a new CEO came in recently, and we had a chance to get involved with the project. And sure enough, a number of those things that we pointed out actually turned out to be significant issues. And uh, now we're working on it. But it's a, uh, and I hate to uh, crow over that because it's uh, nobody wins in those situations. But, right. uh, but it is, I'd like to think, an example of the importance of looking a little uh, more openly and being willing to admit that your idea might not be working and you might need to think of something else. Scott, and that's really great. You know, sometimes we get so committed to our ideas, we marry our ideas and almost don't differentiate our idea from ourself. They become part of our identity. And it seems like it's when we get to that point, and you shared this message with us, that when you're developing products, your job is to anticipate, anticipate what's going to go wrong, think through all of the things that are going to happen, and your ideas are just ideas. They're nothing personal. And I think the same thing applies not only to product development, but also organizational strategy Mm -hmm. is you have to be willing to pivot if it doesn't work. And you have to be realistic and not be married to your ideas. Right. And I actually spoke to a a CEO recently. He spoke at one of our conferences uh, a couple weeks ago. He said he creates these things he calls decision boxes. So basically I think really what he meant was a go-no-go decision, but he's always willing to walk away at, at any point. It's just, uh, and having the admission that, you, that there's still a chance the whole thing might not be right and figuring out beforehand how you're going to decide. It's like if you go in to buy a car and you know you need to have the car, you know you're going to pay a lot more for it than if you go and say, well, I'm going to walk away if we don't get it for $24,000. It's a, and, I think and, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, and, and definitely what you're saying, Scott, is is you got to be clear on your outcome, right? If mm-hmm. your outcome was $24,000 for that car yeah. and you know exactly what you want and how you're going to get it, then be clear on your outcome, but those ideas are the vehicles and be willing to abandon a vehicle if it doesn't get to where you want to be. Exactly. I, mean, I think that's a virtue. I think the larger companies have figured that out. But a lot of the entrepreneurs don't have enough scars to realize that them and their momentum and the vision and what the kind of product category they're trying to be in is actually worth a lot. But their particular invention may not be the thing. It doesn't matter. Go find another invention. <laughs> Go find another. There's a, there's a million inventions. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is awesome. Now that, you know, I, I really like the rawness of this topic because it could definitely get emotional sometimes when people are dealing with new products and money has been invested and decisions have to be made. It can get emotional. And so mm-hmm. how do you take the identity out of your idea and make that commitment to the outcome instead of the actual idea? This is a really powerful discussion. Thank you for walking us through oh, that, this Scott. This fun. You know, one of the, I think there's a few aspects that we were talking about. Uh, one is the uh, sort of the second half, as it were. 
sort of what happens after you launch and getting the product the fit right to the market so that people adopt it, so people have a way to pay for it, that it fits into a clinical workflow is very, very complicated. And technical founders of companies, I know that's not necessarily exactly the audience here, but can often take that, sort of miss that, the importance of that. They, they get so focused on the, uh, the beauty of their idea and the technology solution and so on. So we strongly believe going out to talk to a lot of users and actually have the technical people in your team go into that use environment as well. What everybody forgets is that there's thousands and thousands of decisions that go into a product and hundreds of them go onto a spec document. And so there's, there's lots of decisions that are being made by people with just gut feel. And the more you can provide them a uh, opportunity to get into that surgery center or fly around in that air ambulance or uh, go watch the epidural being put in or whatever the application is, actually send engineers and technical people go participate in those that uh, you'll get much better outcomes. Get in the trenches. Don't get be afraid to go where the users are. Get in the trenches and be real with how it's going to be used and how it's going to be implemented. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And it's so true. So true. A lot of people don't do that. So Scott, mm -hmm. let's take a little pivot here. What would you say you've gone through a lot of these lessons and you, you've developed systems, you've got philosophies and you've got the teams to now really help provide these services to med device companies. Mm -hmm. What would you say in all the successes that you have is one of your proudest moments in medical leadership experience? Gosh, there's a, there's a lot of interesting ones. I'll highlight a couple of projects. So we had a, a client, just this heroic client, a guy named Michael Baker, created a company called HD+. Plus. HD+. Trying, plus. HD+. Plus. And he was trying to revolutionize. It's, it's got a different name. I'll tell that part of the story in a sec. So he basically had the idea that hemodialysis is bad for people, right? It's the way it's done. Outpatient center, three hours or so of hemodialysis. This is for people with kidney failure. So you feel like crap when you go into the center. Then they overcompensate all your electrolytes and so on. Take all the urea out of your blood and rebalance things. And then you feel like crap again because they over. Correct. And then for a while in between appointments, you feel okay. And then you start feeling crappy again, and you go in again. And it's a horrible life. So he said, wouldn't it be better actually if we did this at night and we did it slowly and uh, you do it every day and you do it in your home. Like that would totally revolutionize the life of, of a kidney failure patient. And he started assembling technology and he, he got some stuff out of, out of Hewlett Packard to be able to, to mix the dialysate on the fly. And he, and he got some technology out of Oregon Health Science University to do with a, a brand new type of dialyzer that does the filtering. And then he came to us and said, okay, I've got this technology figured out. Can you go figure out how this thing's going to actually turn into a device? And so our, we had a team on it. It took, I can't recall how long, maybe a year to come up with the very first working prototype that could be tested, not on people yet. It was a really amazing team and super fast and very powerful idea. And then that company, it was eventually funded by a big investment bank out of New York. And now it's about to launch and it's called Outset Medical now. And what is it called? Outset? Outset Medical. So I think it could have a significant impact on how a dialysis is done. That's very cool. I'm taking note of it. I'll definitely look into that. It sounds like a, it's a space where hemodialysis, painful, not fun. Why not change the time of day that you do it? And why not do it incrementally? And he went and he hunted for the different technologies and he came to start fish and said, help me put this together. And it sounds like you guys got your heads together and pretty quickly got a prototype. And now, so when did that happen? When did, when did uh, hit the so idea? That, he the original thing, the oh, must've been about five, six years ago now. I mean, these things take a while 
through all the clinical yeah, no trials doubt. and so on. Eventually, but, they, they was funded, they built their company, and they actually took the whole development in-house, which is fine. And we play our part in the drama, but it's something that I think we're going to be very proud of as it launches up into the market. Very cool. We've got an, uh, a number of clients are going after those multi-billion dollar spaces, right? And I think it's uh, when you, you have to get to a certain scale before people will entrust you with those kinds of opportunities, right? But uh, we have one that's uh, called LensGen. It's out of uh, Southern California. It's a accommodating intraocular lens, the leading one, we believe, in the development phase right now. And they've just raised a, a round of capital, a round. And it's, again, that's like a $15 billion a year market opportunity, right? Let's say if you're 55, 60 years old, giving you the eyes of a 20-year-old again, right? And uh, right now you get presbyopia, your eyes kind of get to locked in to a dis focus distance. You need reading glasses, arm extenders, as they say. So we've been integrally involved in that project. Very good. And, uh, no, thank you for sharing that. It sounds like you guys are doing some pretty uh, innovative work over there and um, between Outset Medical and LensGen, sounds like you got some unicorns there in a mix yeah, uh, with true. the billion dollar company. So right. I think that's really exciting. Thank you for sharing lot, that. We got a lot more too. I could tell you more stories. But. <laughs> I'm sure. And, and, and Outcomes Rocket listeners, if you want a, a, a peek into the portfolio of Star Medical and uh, Starfish Medical and, and maybe just some references, if you're considering using them, please feel free to reach out. This is why we do the podcast, to put amazing leaders together to help create better outcomes for patients to help create more profitable companies. Scott, let's dive into potentially a course. And so we're building the Scott Phillips 101 course, the ABCs of how yes. to do it right. And so I'd like to write out a syllabus with you by having you answer some brief questions. So I'll ask you some questions and then you could give me your brief answers and then we I'll could try, conclude. I'll, I'll try to keep them brief. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we'll conclude with a book that you okay, have so. to add in the <laughs> syllabus of your course. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think the single biggest thing is actually the whole thing, realizing that you don't have the right solution until you're solving the whole problem. And uh, so making sure your viewpoint is big enough. And we see a lot of people where, a lot of cases where they've got some pieces of it, but they haven't, actually it's not a solution. They don't have a regulatory path. They don't have a reimbursement model. If the uh, economics don't work, there's not a disposable revenue model, which is probably needed to make your thing work. There's a critical snafu in the usability or adoptability. You forget that the nurses are unionized and they have certain things that they recognize and they won't they don't agree to use this or they won't or or that you're actually trying to change the specialty of person who does this thing and now you're dealing with politics and uh, it's it's just so I would not say it's any one thing, but unless you have a solution to all those problems, you actually don't have a product. And so there's no substitute for experience. So if you go find somebody who's done a commercialization in that sector before and get them on your team and really, really understands those things. Because Make sure your viewpoint is broad enough. That's basically my message. Love right? it. Sorry, it wasn't quick. But. No, 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 that's okay. No, but you added some really great detail and so not, not a problem at all. So what is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? What we see in entrepreneurial type companies is technical people focusing on technology, thinking that that's really the holy grail. And it is, it's necessary, but it's totally not sufficient. You need a lot of other pieces to make it go. 
and also too much ego attached to it and not recognizing that you need other expertise. Excellent. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I like to think there's a couple of main types of people in product development. There's innovative type people and there's execution oriented people. And companies tend to migrate to start with innovators and you, over time, as you get more into distribution, you end up with a little bit more on the uh, sort of execution, right? People like to finish things and they think of the innovators as crazy cowboys and your organization kind of rejects them. So how do you keep innovators around? Make sure that you actually have a home in your company where innovation can act. The people who love blue sky but can't finish anything to save their lives, but so they're still respected in that organization. I think really love it, important. keep that innovation alive. What is the one area of focus that drives everything else in your company? Uh, well, we have enunciated a number of core values. I would say the number one thing is enabling success of others. And we want everybody who comes into our company to be people who are like that. If you're in the service business, you better be a service person. I'd say uh, you can't be all full of yourself and trying to do to, uh, to seek glory because really your glory comes through somebody else being successful. I love that. Empower others. So what is your book that you would add here to the syllabus? That's a great question. In terms of medical device development, there's a couple of interesting ones. There's the biodesign book put out by the Stanford group, Josh uh, Mikauer and a couple of the other guys. There's actually an interesting book, not very well known by a guy named Rudy Mazzocchi. That's uh, called Storytelling, the uh, essential skill of entrepreneurship, something like that. This guy out of Florida, he's done a number of startups. He spoke at our conference in Toronto we had a couple weeks ago. And all of his stories in this whole book, it's a book for entrepreneurs, but it's mm -hmm. a, all of the stories are about how he's raised capital and, and launched products in the medtech sector. So it's totally Storytelling by Rudy Mazzocchi. That's correct. Well, there you have it, Outcomes Rocket listeners. You have the step-by-step -step 101 course that Scott Phillips just put together for you along with a, a key book. Make sure you think through this. You could always go back to the episode and re-listen. That's the beauty of podcast. And take notes on the tips that he's offered here with respect to product innovation and product development. Scott, I really appreciate you sharing all these things. So before we conclude, please share one parting thought and then let us know how Outcomes Rocket listeners could get a hold of you. My parting thought really is that it's a wonderful time for MedTech right now. In change comes opportunity and uh, you know it can feel oppressive as your reimbursements get crushed down and so on, but really those changes create innovation and it's a wonderful time to, to contemplate how you can adapt and uh, take advantage. Awesome. And how can Outcomes Rocket listeners get a hold of you? They can look at our website at starfishmedical.com. They want to contact me personally. My email is sphillips at starfishmedical.com. And I'd uh, be happy to talk to them. Wonderful. Scott, I really appreciate the opportunity you've given us to really have you on the show and share your wisdom. I know that our conversation is really going to create some positive ripple effects in the way that healthcare leaders and influencers really address their biggest problems in their pursuit to improve healthcare outcomes. So really want to give you a big thanks on behalf of uh, all the listeners and myself. Thank you. Okay. Thanks very much, Saul. It's been a pleasure. Get excited for Health 2.0's 11th Annual Fall Conference and save $100 with this promo code fall 17 rocket that's f-a-l-l one seven r-o-c-k-e-t at this one-of-a-kind conference you'll discover the latest innovation and hear the hottest topics and trends in health tech 
Join 2,000 decision makers, including healthcare providers, developers, investors, and startups, as they gather to see over 200 live product demos, 100 plus thought leaders, and 10 new company launches. Visit outcomesrocket.com/health20. That's outcomesrocket.com/health20. And use promo code FALL17ROCKET to get $100 off of this outstanding and exciting event. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 